Welcome to the Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 22nd show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I will keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to our rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have in studio today. Please call at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And my lineup for today's show, Russ Hokanson, he's CEO with Seattle King County Roll Tours. Will my children be able to afford a home in King County? Uh, great conversation with Russ today. Also in studio, Carrie Scott with John L. Scott, West Seattle. How do you win in this crazy market? Market tips to write a winning offer. And my last guest in studio, Karen Kurgnig with Edward Jones. Are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Great information and great guests in studio. For more information on any of the topics discussed or topics that you'd like to hear on future shows, please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And to start out our show today, as always, with a little money chat. Money. Money. I love it when my guests are over here just dancing with a little money chat music. And today I'm going to bring into studio for you credit tips to increase your credit score. Your credit matters, and today I want to share some of those tips that make a difference in your credit score. Your credit score or FICO score determines the term and your interest rates that you pay on credit cards, car loan, mortgage loan, and even the cost of your car insurance. A lot of employers are looking at your FICO score as well to make a decision on whether or not they're going to hire you for that employment. So it's important to have some tips on what you can do to increase your credit score and to keep your credit score favorable for all of these areas of your life that it's going to affect it. Uh, Credit scores vary from the low 300s to the 850s. Your FICO score is the middle score from the three bureaus used Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Uh, 760 or higher is considered excellent credit score. And then when you get to the 660 or low, that's considered the challenging market and our credit bracket where you need uh, some tips and some work on that. So we'll go over that today. Why are consumer credit reports different than when the lender pulls your credit? That's a really common question that uh, you'll hear. I hear it a lot in the mortgage industry clients come in and they've pulled a free credit uh, report maybe through my FICO score and the score is different than what it is actually for a mortgage. Now, here's the surprising thing. It actually would be different when you're doing a pulling your credit for a car loan as well or for credit cards because there are 52 different algorithms that are used to pull your credit, different statistics that affect the risk of default in these different areas. The risk of default when you have a mortgage is going to be different algorithms used than a risk for default when you buy a car or credit cards. So when you're pulling your credit report, there's nothing wrong with taking a look at where your FICO score is to give you an idea, but that's just what it is. I've seen uh, scores vary sometimes 30 uh, points from one uh, algorithm used from another. 
Now, components that are going to affect your credit score, obviously delinquents. So you want to do everything that you can to make sure that you pay your bills on time. If you do pay them late or get that bill late in, into the mail or online payment is a little bit late, as long as it doesn't go over 30 days, it's not going to reflect as a delinquent on your credit report. 35% of the credit score represents from delinquency. So that's why it's a really important part of that chart that's that pie chart that's going to affect the credit score. Debt to credit utilization ratio, you want to keep that, that represents 30% of the credit score. So you want to keep that, if at all possible, at 30%. So whatever the available credit limit is to you, you want to make sure what you owe is 30% or less of that available amount to you. If you go over 50%, then that can be pretty devastating for your credit score. So this is a simple fix. If you have your, if you're on your credit report, you owe more than that. If you can pay that down, you can do what's called a rapid rescore, which will have a pretty quick effect to that actual uh, uh, credit score based on paying that those liabilities down. A lot of times you see this if you're somebody that uses your credit card on a monthly basis. I do, so I just pay it off every month, but it can get up over that 50% sometimes depending on what my monthly spe- expenses are. So you just want to make sure you're not doing that at any time that you're taking out a loan. Or again, if you're in a position to pay that bound, down, then a rapid rescore can be uh, done. Average age of your credit is 15%, represents 15%. So what you don't want to do, and this is something that you cannot recover from, and it's a myth that you'll hear if you're not using your credit cards, close them out. That would not be an accurate statement. You definitely do not want to close credit cards out that you're not using, especially if they have a history associated to that. So two years is kind of that when you're really starting to um, see some positive effect from that age of that credit is two years. So if you have credit cards that have been open for over two years, five years, 10 years, and you close it out, you can't recover that because you even when you get a new credit, now you have to reestablish that. So the age and the amount of credit that you have in the history is 15% of your score. Now, what you can do if you don't have established trade lines, so you're just starting out your credit, maybe you're a younger listener, uh, go to mom or dad or a great friend or something and ask them to add you as an authorized user to some of their long-established accounts. You don't have to have access to it. They don't have to give you a credit card, but just add you onto the account as an authorized user, and that's going to help to build that average age of credit, which has such a big impact on your actual score. And the mix of credit is important, too. That represents 10% every one installment. Uh, You want to have three revolving trade lines. Now, you do want to be careful with this. You want to consult with a mortgage expert or depending on what type of loan that you're getting to not, not to just go out and open credit cards because it may have a negative effect. So they're because of the other parts of the score that affect it. But on an, just from that piece alone, the mix is one installment to three revolving. So an installment debt would be like a car payment or a student loan. Your revolving debts are all your credit cards or revolving liabilities. And then, of course, there's the inquiries. The inquiries represent 10% of your score. Seven inquiries a year before it affects your score in a real negative way. Um, when you hear that you really don't want to have your credit report pulled from multiple uh, mortgage consultants, I will say being in the profession, as long as it's within 30 to 40 days, depending on which one of the bureau, it is not going to affect your credit score by having it pulled by multiple lenders. Uh, but when you get past that point, it definitely can. So you just want to be cautious uh, on that.
Uh, tax liens, pay your tax liens. Once they've been paid, they can actually be removed. So that can have a, a huge impact on your credit score. Release and satisfied federal credit liens can be deleted from a credit report and all public records within 30 days. Um, some unpaid tax liens can be deleted. So federal tax liens can also be deleted if they've had balances of less than 25K with an on-time payments to the IRS can have a huge impact on your score. Um, we've talked about added author, adding authorized users. Uh, add secure credit cards. So again, if you're short trade lines, the authorized user is the best option because of the, the established account. But if you don't have a family member that's willing to allow you to do that, you can do add, add secured accounts. And you can go to openskycc.com, and it's a great resource to get those secured cards if for some reason you're having a hard time getting approved for a card because you don't have any credit history. Uh, keep balances below 30%. Again, that's a um, big one that we discussed before. Consolidating student loans. When you have multiple student loans, um, consolidation is good for many reasons, but for your credit score, it can have a, a huge impact by consolidating the, consolidating the student loans. Also, for debt-to-income ratio purposes, depending on the type of loan, um, if you can amortize those payments over a longer period of time, uh, sometimes that can help as well on qualifying. And put the burden of proof back on the creditor. So I want to end with this one before I take us to commercial. If you get a speeding ticket and you have an attorney take it to court for you, statistics will show that 70% chance that the speeding ticket can be removed from your record. Not saying that you weren't speeding. Let's say that you were. Credit works like that as well. There are ways that credit bureau or the, your creditors are reporting to the credit bureau that are out of Fair Credit Act for you. So if they can't produce the documentation that's required, then they have to remove those accounts. So it might be in your best interest if you've got some challenges with your credit to talk with a credit consumer, um, a credit repair company, and find out what violations are on your credit report. A lot of times it's really easy to get collections wiped out. Um, so take a look at that, go through that process. They can be uh, pretty inexpensive if you're right with the right company. And if you need a resource for that, as always, that's what I'm here for, to be a resource for you on anything that has to do with your financial, family finance, and your future when it comes to money. And I've got all of the experts that can help you. So call the show at one 855 or go online to themoneyr.com. And coming up next, will my child be able to afford a home in King County? Well, we have Russ Elkinson here, CEO with Seattle King County Rural Tours, right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Are you in the process of selling your home? What improvements should you do before you list your home to bring the highest and best price? Should you paint, replace your carpets, put in a new front door, or take down family pictures? You don't want to spend money needlessly, but you want potential buyers to be able to picture themselves living in your home and not thinking about what they would need to improve on before they could move in. Carrie Scott from John L. Scott Real Estate answers these questions every day to help her clients decide what to do to get their home ready to sell. There's not a lot of inventory in the market today, and if you do everything possible to get your home ready to sell, you will be guaranteed the highest price the market will bear and leave no money on the table. Carrie Scott will get every dollar possible because you have done everything ahead of time to ensure that. 
Here's a testimonial from a client selling their home. Carrie was exceptional in helping us sell our home. In addition to being very knowledgeable, professional, and efficient, she was also very hardworking. She had some great instincts on how to get the most from our sale, and she was wonderful at communicating throughout the whole entire process. We could not have asked for more as she exceeded our hopes and our expectations in every way. We give her our highest recommendation. I'm Carrie Scott, and I would welcome the opportunity to work with you in buying or selling your home. You can reach me at 206-799-8343. I'm here to help. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 22nd show. I'm committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 1150 or go online to themoneyhour.com for any questions that you have for the guests that I have on the show today. And my first conversation this afternoon is with Russ Hulkinson. He is CEO of Seattle King County Roll Tours. Russ, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Excited to have a chat with you. Tina, it's great to be here, and I love being on your show because you do such a great job of telling consumers what's going on in our market and informing them if they want to be buyers or sellers in this market. Well, thank you, Russ. I appreciate that. And Russ has over 20 years of association management and an additional 10 years in governmental and public relationships and leadership development. And the conversation I'm going to have with Russ today is... You may be asking, will my child be able to afford a home in King County? Because it is crazy. And I um, actually have a local expert, uh, real estate expert, that we're going to talk with after my conversation with Russ and uh, just to get a little more dialed in on what's happening. But Russ, what is the state of the housing market in King County? Well, right now, Seattle and King County um, is one of the hottest markets in the country. Um, If you measure that by year-over-year price increases, in June of this year, we had nearly 14% increase in single-family housing prices from the previous June. So the median price um, in King County for a single-family home has risen from about 573000 last year to 653000 this wow. year. Um, so homes are becoming less and less affordable for working families, and that, of course, concerns us. We don't want to lose the opportunity for people to live near the communities where they work. Um, that's a whole problem purpose of our Growth Management Act and planning uh, for development within our communities. But right now, our market is a little bit out of balance, maybe even more than a little bit out of balance. Mm -hmm. There are more jobs being created than there are housing units being created right now. And there are far more buyers in the market than there are sellers. So we have a severe shortage of housing options, housing choices right now for consumers. And we refer to that as a lack of inventory, a lack of supply. And we've been in this severe shortage for four years now in King County. And in fact, uh, this year in King County, we'll set a record for housing scarcity. And what do I mean by that? We measure housing availability in what we call months of supply. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a simple ratio between the number of homes that are listed to sit for sale and the number of homes that will sell in any given month. So if we have 2,000 homes listed for sale and we sell 1,000 of them in July, um, the ratio is two to one or two months yes. supply. 
Um, a normal or balanced market between buyers and sellers is anywhere from four to six months of supply. We haven't had more than two months supply in King County for four years. So we've had this structural problem going on with not enough supply. Um, and so we need to fix that under supply problem because this year in 2017, we'll set a record. King County will average less than one month's supply of housing throughout the year. We have about three, three and a half weeks of supply right mm-hmm. now on the market. Yeah, and I, you know, it's just so challenging for the buyers to have to go through that and all the craziness that's happening with the multiple offers. So, Russ, you've created an innovative website to answer questions about the market, uh, housingtranslator.com. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to tell you about that. So, yes, it is housingtranslator.com. And I'd encourage any of your listeners to go ahead and go to that website now or anytime during the day, housingtranslator.com. Um, it's a fun little website. We call it a microsite that attempts to answer questions about the real estate market in easy-to-understand language. We pose some interesting and provocative questions about housing, and then we answer those questions. Um, it's designed to help educate consumers about our market and start a conversation about how we could make our market better and a little more balanced. You know, Habitat for Humanity recently did a survey of Canadians and Americans in which nine out of 10 respondents said it's important to find a solution for the lack of affordable housing options Mm -hmm. that we currently have. And eight in 10 said we are not paying enough attention to the housing issue. So Housing Translator is designed to sort of elevate the conversation, elevate the awareness of what's going on in terms of housing and what some of the solutions are. Yeah, I love, love that, Russ. So what is the most popular question on the site? Well, it's not ironic that the most popular question on the site <laughs> is, guess. is why are King County housing prices going up so fast? Uh-huh. Um, and the simple answer is it's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of factors that have contributed to why our market is so out of balance. And I don't know that we could cover all those today we in a, a conversation. Yeah. Yes. Um, but basically, it's, it's supply and demand. But we believe that if we start addressing some of these issues now, the market can come back into balance and many more, more people will be able to purchase a home or condominium in the community of their choice. And that includes your kids and grandkids who, yes. if you raise them in King County, you want to have an opportunity for them to purchase in the home where they settle or mm-hmm. or where they want to stay or where they grew up. And so we need to change the trend because right now that doesn't look possible in the future. But if we make some changes, it will be possible. So what kind of changes can we do to improve the market, Russ? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is everyone needs to admit and to acknowledge that we don't have enough supply. Okay, We just have to face that fact and say, yes, what are we going to do to address that? We need to be realistic about this and put together a plan that addresses the structural problem of not having enough homes for people who are out there Mm -hmm. buying right now. Um, All we have to do is look at California. And I don't know if you saw the, the news recently. The New York Times did a big article on housing in California is basically in crisis right now. They're they're yeah. trying to revise a number of their regulations because they don't have enough homes for people, and it's starting to harm their economy. We mm-hmm. think, well, our economy's robust. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. But you have to house workers. They have exactly. to be somewhere. And they're and coming here instead. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, our growth is like, you know, 1,100, 1,500 new people a month. It's something yeah. just astounding. Uh, And so we need to address that. We need to have a plan that will take into account all those new people coming here for uh, job opportunities. 
So, Russ, on on a, another topic here, I want to um, ask the importance for my listeners on why they should use a Realtor. Well, Realtors stand for professionalism, for cooperation, because all the all the agents out there are basically competitors. They work for different yes. companies, but they all cooperate to make sure that consumers can get into mm-hmm. a house or, or a home of their choice. They're all about pers- improving the industry for consumers so that they can they can find the home of their dreams. And realtors also agreed to abide by a code of ethics, mm-hmm. which is kind of the standard in our industry. You know, if you're a buyer in this market, you need a great agent more than ever. Mm-hmm. And the best agents are realtors. And why do I say that? Um, 85% of all transactions in the United States are facilitated by realtors who are licensees who are members of the National Association of Realtors. So um, realtors are out there doing the business. So if you're a consumer, you want to make sure that your agent um, is a realtor. Realtors are professionals that are invested in their business. Mm-hmm. That's why they've chosen to join the National Association of Realtors because only licensees who are members of the Realtor Association can call themselves realtors. It's a trademark term. Sometimes yes. we, you know, people refer to, well, my realtor did this or that. But in fact, those people are just real estate agents. You have mm-hmm. to be a member of the Realtor Association in order to call yourself a realtor. And we think realtors are the best. Yeah, and also all the support that the association does to uh, protect homeownership and everything that you guys are doing in governing what we need to keep our economy safe and, and uh, thriving. So what's the outlook for the real estate uh, nationally, Russ? Well, Tina, if you'll allow me one more point. Before we go to the national side, okay. let, me, let me talk... Um, about a couple of solutions that I think we can uh, put in place locally to okay, help our King right. County market. Um, and there are a lot of little things that we do. There's no one silver bullet out there mm-hmm. that's going to improve affordability or the inventory situation, but we can do a lot of little things and start doing those now to help improve the market. I think one of the most important things we need to do is to make it more attractive to build condominiums in our market today because there are virtually no condominiums being built currently. There are a lot of apartment buildings that are Mm -hmm. going up, but very few condos. And the reason is it's more expensive to build condos um, for legal and insurance reasons. So if we can tweak our condo liability law in the state of Washington, I think that can be an immediate boost to our inventory. And condos are important for two reasons. They're great for first-time buyers or people Mm -hmm. getting into the market because they tend to be more affordable. But they're also ideal for people like me who has a large house with a daughter who's now in college and yeah. kind of want I kind of want to downsize and there aren't any good options for me I'd love to have a condo that would make that Does possible. Does Karen agree with you? Oh, yes. Okay, Absolutely. She says, Dad, yeah, get rid of that house. Yeah. And Mary's pushing me, saying, yeah, come on. We need to get a smaller place. But a lot of people are in that position right now that would normally put their home on the market, but they don't have a place to go. So yes. we need more options. So fixing the condo law would be great in doing that. We need to make sure that we create a lot of housing around transit zones um, and take advantage of density so that people can take public transportation to where they work you know, help our roads, but also it makes sense, especially in cities like Seattle, you have to be a little bit more dense. That's what the Growth Management Act tells us we need to do. So we need to be, um, have an honest effort in making that happen. And we can do other little things uh, within cities like allow the use of accessory dwelling units that allows, you know, an extra unit on a a particular lot um, and not have restrictive zoning laws that prevent new development from going up. And that's the other issue that's that's a hot button in California right now, mm-hmm. and it's eventually going to be one for us, is that too many times our laws are structured to prevent 
development. It's, it's on the side of how do we stop this rather than how do we help create more housing options? How do sure. we make those things happen so that everybody can have the advantage of owning a home mm-hmm. or having a roof over their heads? And so I think we need to be careful and look at um, our current, current rules that govern development and make sure that there are incentives and that they're reasonable and balanced and not just restrictive. Yeah. So how, how do you feel about that, Russ, that that, um, that effort is going? Well, again, it's all about the conversation that we're having. Sure. Now, I'm encouraged. And by the way, I grew up in this area. I've lived here all my life. And mm-hmm. I want to be able to stay here and I want my kids to be able to stay here. Yeah. I don't want to have to move because it's too expensive to get a house here. Yeah. So I think if you look at the conversation, you listen to the conversation that's going on now, um, city of Seattle, King County, a lot of suburban cities are starting to have the conversation about how we can be a little more creative and al- allow a little more development, not a lot, but a little more will help our housing situation a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. So, Russ, I've got a couple minutes, and I want to ask you, so nationally, what's happening? Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, one of the other interesting questions we have on our Housing Translator site is... Um, why is home ownership good for the average American? Uh-huh. And in that question, we kind of talk about all the benefits that communities get from that. But um, a lot of that relies on the tax incentives that we have federally, the mortgage mm-hmm. interest deduction, yeah. the property tax deduction. And when Congress talks about tax reform, mm-hmm. those things are kind of on the table. And I think a healthy tax debate is good. But let's keep in mind that the property tax and the mortgage interest deduction are used by about 35 to 40 million families every year. It's a widespread benefit to a lot of homeowners. It incentivizes homeownership, and that's good for our community. So nationally, we're keeping a close eye on that because we don't know what changes might come down the line. And I think every consumer, every homeowner should be aware of what's going on there because that uh, that has an effect on the value of their home. Yeah, makes sense. Russ, thank you so much for not just coming into the studio to share with my listeners, but for everything that you're doing behind the scenes um, to really help our, our local economy and you know the fight for protecting everything that we need to continue the growth. And so thank you for that. Thanks, Tina. It was great to be here. Yeah. Coming up next on the Money Hour, how do you win in this crazy market? Market tips to writing the winning offer. Carrie Scott with John L. Scott, West Seattle, right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Are you in the process of selling your home? What improvements should you do before you list your home to bring the highest and best price? Should you paint, replace your carpets, put in a new front door, or take down family pictures? You don't want to spend money needlessly, but you want potential buyers to be able to picture themselves living in your home and not thinking about what they would need to improve on before they could move in. Carrie Scott from John L. Scott Real Estate answers these questions every day to help her clients decide what to do to get their home ready to sell. There's not a lot of inventory in the market today, and if you do everything possible to get your home ready to sell, you will be guaranteed the highest price the market will bear and leave no money on the table. Carrie Scott will get every dollar possible because you have done everything ahead of time to ensure that. Here's a testimonial from a client selling their home. Carrie was exceptional in helping us sell our home. In addition to being very knowledgeable, professional, and efficient, she was also very hardworking. She had some great instincts on how to get the most from our sale, and she was wonderful at communicating throughout the whole entire process. We could not have asked for more as she exceeded our hopes and our expectations in every way. We give her our highest recommendation. I'm Carrie Scott, and I would welcome the opportunity to work with you in buying or selling your home. 
you can reach me at 206-799-8343. I'm here to help. It's true. Many of us spend more time thinking about what's for dinner than preparing for retirement. But if you think your retirement deserves more attention, Karen Koenig agrees, and she'd like to help. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Karen Koenig. Together we can give your long-term retirement strategy the intention it deserves. Contact our office at 425-355-3054 or email me at karen.koenig at edwardjones.com. That's K-A-R-E-N dot K-O-E-N-I-G at edwardjones.com. Again, the number is 425-355-3054 or Karen Koenig at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 22nd show. I provide you news on everything money, fresh information, market trends in our local economy. And if you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast to talk to the guests that I have in studio. You can call the show at one 855 1150 Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And in studio right now, I have Carrie Scott with John L. Scott, and we're going to be talking about uh, the crazy real estate market, markets, and tips to writing a winning offer. And I know, Carrie, you've had a lot of success with that in this crazy market. So thank you for coming back in studio. Tina, thanks for having me. And a little bit about Carrie. Uh, Carrie is in the top 1% John L. Scott agents for 2016, President Elite Award, Outstanding Production, 2010 through 2015, Five Star Real Estate Agent Award, Seattle Magazine, Certified Luxury Home Marketing Specialist, Accredited Staging Professional, International Association Home Staging Professional, Certified Quality Street Agent, Group Leader, Mentor for Brian Buffini, Regional Manor Team, Regional Manager, Team Member for Brian Buffini, and Member of John L. Scott Foundation, Peak Group Leader Experience and Peak Performer Class Facilitator. Carrie serves the most popular inner city neighborhoods in the Seattle area and has been in the business for over 20 years. She is recognized as one of the top agents in the Seattle metro area. 90% of her business is repeat and referral due to her Nordstrom quality of service. Carrie uses her time, energy, and resources to invest in client relationships. Her approach is investing in her clients give them the trust and confidence to not only use her again, but to refer her to family, friends, and associates. Carrie's team includes Lynn Sterling, her full-time licensed assistant who also offers top-notch service, a wealth of knowledge, and willing spirit to do whatever it takes to get the job done. She is also consistently in the top 1% of John L. Scott company-wide 2000 through 2015. Um, Carrie, that's why I have you here. I mean, the bio says it all. I only bring the best of the best in uh, studio and just really excited to have you share your wealth of experience and knowledge with uh, my listeners. So 
let's just get right to it. Mm-hmm. How do you win a winning? How do you write a winning offer? Well, it's tough. It's really mm-hmm. tough for buyers, and when they've put in three or four offers and they haven't got the bid, the winning bid, it's really, really hard on them emotionally, and they think, yeah. "Can I survive and win a home bid in this crazy market?" Mm-hmm. So it really gets down to your terms and conditions because the sellers are kind of in the catbird seat right now, and they're sitting back saying, "Okay, bring it on now." So, you know, there's so many questions. Do we inspect? Do we pre-inspect? Do we do a sewer scope? Um, do we write a love letter? Do we uh, waive our financing? Do we waive our appraisal? Do we guarantee our appraisal? Yeah. Do we have the delta between if we have a low appraisal come in, what we agreed to pay and what the bank will lend on? Mm-hmm. And where do we get that money from? And yes. so we've gotten creative with how we find out how to make all those, you know, with the mortgage lender, figure out how we can make all that work. And then with their family members that yes. sometimes are coming and helping a lot of our millennials that can't quite pull it all together in the in the way that will give them a winning outcome. Yeah. So let's start out with the, the appraisal and the appraisal value and waiving that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is a big one. I see that across my desk all the time in contracts. Well, it all starts off when I sit with buyers and whether they're multi, you know, uh, many time buyers or first time buyers, I always start with the, the uh, offering price, which actually I've referred to now as the starting price. Mm-hmm. Because we've had such huge escalation in the Seattle market between 10 and 22% is kind of our average, which yep. we've seen, that they think if the, if the house is 700000 they think that should get it. And I'm mm-hmm. here to tell them we need runway, we need a ramp to roll it up. Yeah. If we really want to be competitive, we know there are going to be multiple offers. So when they sit down for the buyer consultation, I explain all this to them, because when you say guaranteed appraisal, that's just like speaking Greek. They're like, yes. what? Cause what does that mean? That that was old school real estate yes. in, in this market, which I'm sure will roll back to that eventually. Of course. Right now, it's all about strategy. So we sit down and we say, okay, here's the price of the house. Um, Here's the activity that the house has had on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find out from the agent how many pre-inspections people have done and how many sewer scopes because that gives you an idea of how many players are going to be there. Uh Um, Some buyers or some sellers don't want to have people pre-inspect their house, so they they uh, provide you with an inspection that they give to all buyers, Mm -hmm. and then some don't. It just depends on the inspector. Then we get into the financing part where where I say, okay, where's your comfortable payment? They work it out with their lender. Um, as you know, you give them the good faith estimate, mm-hmm. and so they can see where their high and their low is and what the payments would be and what they qualify for. And then I say, okay, do you have any extra cash? Because once you put down yeah. your 20% down on your loan or your 30 or 40% or whatever it's going to be, say we, we're in a real winning bid situation and we're coming up against cash offers, are you willing to waive your financing completely because mm-hmm. you feel so secure in your financing and your ability to close on a loan that you feel that you can take that risk and you're going to manage that and you feel like you can have a winning outcome and you're okay with that. Then we talk about if they say they cannot waive their, waive their financing, we say, okay, we're going to have financing, but what if we waive the appraisal? Yes. They say, Carrie, what's waiving the appraisal? Mm-hmm. Well, that means the, agree, the amount that you agree to pay for it doesn't measure up to what the bank appraiser says, and there could be a delta between those two numbers. Mm-hmm. They say, well, how does that work? Well, then I say, well, do you have extra cash somewhere, like under yes. your bed in a case? Or, <laughs> or do you have parents that can help you? Or, well, the bed in the case can be dangerous when it comes to the financing, but, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't go there, but. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or, or they'll say, um, how about your finances? Yes. How about do you have a 401k that you can borrow against? Yes. So it won't be considered as a debt against your, mm-hmm. you know, your whole debt to income ratio. Uh-huh. So can you, you know, borrow against yourself? And right now the appraisers are kind of, you know, they're following, uh, they're following the tail of the dog. They're not leading. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the appraisals have been going up, you know, and as you had said earlier, um, the amount of uh, appreciation we've had just in the last year has been terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been just amazing, but it's hard for the appraisers to keep up with that. Yes. There's actually and more with the houses. lack of inventory. There's not the comps to be able to support. And so every month they're creating something new. Yeah. Yeah. So I find appraisers, I'm calling them and I'm giving them appraisals or I'm giving them comps to help mm-hmm. them out. I'm showing them things that hasn't closed yet where information I may know may say this person said they had 12 offers and, you know, yeah. they're probably going to be in this range just to help create new comps because they can't keep up with it. So getting back to your question about the appraisal, so so if they do have that money, I'm finding because the appraisals are rising every single month on houses, I mean, uh-huh. the, the numbers are meeting up, that the appraisers are actually appraising. And so I've had very few cases where the number did not match yes, the agreed amount. Yep. But I want them to have a plan B yeah. so they can, you know, have food with their meals and Make sure that they can, you know, take care of themselves and not put themselves in a situation they can't close on and then lose their earnest money. Yeah. So just a few days ago, I had a client that was making an offer on a property. I think the list price was five ninety five. They were going over a hundred. They were going a hundred grand over list Mm -hmm. price. Um, And come to find out, their offer was not accepted. They waived their finance contingency, but added in not to waive the price all. Right. And the listing agent said that's what did it. So, you yeah. know, and very devastating trying to, so I, the key thing is to really listen to your um, your role tour and the, ex, the expert advice that they're giving you. Ultimately, it's your decision because mm-hmm. it's your risk that you're taking. Exactly. Um, but really finding out what that looks like and how much you want that home. Um, also, if you do have a larger down payment, something to think about, you can come in with a lower down payment, do a buyout of mortgage insurance if the appraisal mm-hmm. came in low that can help with that cash difference. So there's a lot of creative things and just understanding what those options are so you're prepared and you don't miss out if really there was an option for you not to miss out just as you talked about Carrie and really strategizing on how to pull this together um, just in case that does happen so let's move over to you talked about the pre-inspection uh, pre-inspection uh, being that the buyers are going to go in and do uh, an inspection with a bunch of other buyers mm-hmm. and then hoping their offer gets accepted because they can't go in with an inspection contingency you talked about a, a, sometimes the seller is not wanting a bunch of inspectors in there so what are you doing around the inspection process process? How are you navigating? Well, when I have sellers, I really encourage them to have an inspection because if I have their house priced properly, you know, chances are I could get three, four, five, or maybe even 10 offers on that property. And what we've had in the past happening, a new problem we're having is that when inspectors, you have 10 inspections on your house, uh-huh. there's damage that occurs. Yes. Things happen, things break, get scratched. Somebody drops a screwdriver when they're up in the crawl space on the washing machine, it's dented, mm-hmm. it's hard to fix it. You know, there's just all kinds of things that happen. So it's, oh, I think it's really worth it for a seller to have an inspector come in, a reputable inspector that's licensed, bonded, and insured, have them have the inspection, pay the $500, and it could save them far less than if they had damage to their house because it's yeah. really hard to say which inspector did the damage when you're having three inspections at one time on a Saturday Makes morning. Makes sense. And knowing what the condition of the house is before you list it is always a benefit because majority of buyers are going to have some type of an inspection. They're going to do the pre-inspection and the issues are going to come up. So you'd rather them come up before you get your home listed on uh, the market. Well, you would. And buyers are getting buyer fatigue right now. You yes. know, they're paying $500 yeah. per inspection plus $250 for a sewer scope. Yeah. They do that three times and that starts digging into their down payment money. Exactly. 
So we talked about financing, waiving finance contingency, which just means you're just saying, whatever happens with my loan, I'm going to move forward with this regardless, or I'm going to forfeit my earnest money, $30,000, $50,000. Some of these earnest monies are just you know crazy what they're doing for earnest money. So how are you coaching and navigating through the waiving of financing? Do well, the majority of your buyers doing that? A lot of them yes. are. Yeah. I mean, because once they've lost a couple of bids, they're like, okay, Carrie, what can I do yes. to win this? Yes. And, I, and I'm, uh, my answer is we have to throw it down. We have mm-hmm. to go 100% yeah. as strong as we can. And we can't worry about everybody else. We really have to play to your strengths yes. and what you're willing to, because everyone's level of risk that they're willing to take is different. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to gauge in my experience of doing this so many years where you're at. Look at the resources, the resources that we have. Yes. Work with our mortgage lender and then make sure that we can come up with a bid we think that the seller can't live without. Yeah. And if, you, if you've if you got a strong pre-approval, you know you're not going to lose your job or something traumatic is going to happen in that short period of, mm-hmm. you know, 30 days. Um, and everything's been uh, looked over as far as the condition of the property. So there's no issues. Then, um, you know, really, it's, it's not going to be a risk for you to go in and do that. But again, there's always something attached to it. So you've got to know what that looks like. Uh, what about title and waiving title? Um, a lot of people waive title. I always yeah. get a preliminary title. If I have any questions, we call the title company. A lot of them are really straightforward. If you have water property or a lot of easements, that's where you really want to do your diligence on your yes. title. But at the end of the day, the seller is sitting back. They want the least amount of contingencies. They want the cleanest offer they can find. Mm-hmm. They know there's a ton of cash buyers out there. So us finance people are really yeah. trying to stand up with the cash buyers. And yeah. I, and it's all cash to the seller at the end of the day. Exactly. But there's green cash and then there's finance cash. Yes. And so that's been the a lot difference. More risk with the finance cash, so they want the green cash. But I just had a deal I did uh, about a week ago. I was one of nine offers. I mm-hmm. pre-inspected. I offered three hundred and fifty thousand dollars over on the house. Wow. So the house ended up around a million four fifty. And we didn't get it. We waived everything. We had no. Wow. We had no financing. We had no contingencies. We had immediately released earnest money of like mm-hmm. seventy five grand to go yeah. to the seller. And somebody came in, you know, with that bucket of cash, and we only lost because it was cash. Crazy. So as we're wrapping up, I've got one more question here for you, Carrie. Uh, Asking price, what is that really? It's the starting price. (laughs) Yeah, they should change the name. It is truly the starting price because if you come in, I've had sellers look at me and say, well, they pay me that. I I, I don't want it. And I'm thinking, well, that's what you asked for because the stigma of Seattle being that we're like the number one market for growth. Um, for building, for our economy, our jobs, not to mention the 58 cranes we have in downtown for all the building product mm-hmm. projects that they're working on, is that we're the land of milk and honey right now. And sellers, when they're selling, they really, they read the news or they read the paper, they hear the news, they want to cash in on that too. So yeah. sometimes it's just tempering your seller to so, to show the high and low market value and know that if they're in that zone, they will get more than they ever thought they would. Yeah. It's all about pricing it right. Yes. Yeah. Carrie, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It's always a pleasure to thank you, have Tina. a conversation with you. You too. Okay. Coming up next on the Money Hour, are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Karen Kornig with Edward Jones right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. It's true. Many of us spend more time thinking about what's for dinner than preparing for retirement. But if you think your retirement deserves more attention, Karen Koenig agrees, and she'd like to help. 
Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor, Karen Koenig. Together we can give your long-term retirement strategy the intention it deserves. Contact our office at 425-355-3054 or email me at karen.koenig at edwardjones.com. That's K-A-R-E-N dot K-O-E-N-I-G at edwardjones.com. Again, the number is 425-355-3054 or Karen Koenig at edwardjones.com. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 22nd show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online at themoneyhour.com to discuss anything regarding your money, talk with my guest or future guests like you'd, you'd like to have on the show. And right now, in studio, Karen Koenig with Edward Jones. Are you ready to be an entrepreneur? Fun conversation with Karen. Karen, thank you so much for coming into studio and joining me. Thank you, Tina. And a little bit about Karen. Karen strives to serve clients in an unbiased fashion with her support of a strong team of home office professionals. She focuses on helping a select group of entrepreneurs and families develop and implement comprehensive financial strategies. Karen received her undergraduate degree and her MBA in supply chain leadership. She holds her life, accident, and health insurance, agent license, Series 7, and 66 registrations. Karen, thank you again for coming in studio. And um, first question I have is tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm going to just tell a short, brief history. Um, My first career was in the military and uh, civil service. And Basically, that's a government job, male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with a base pay and or you start according to your rank. And you just get step increases based on your rank as you go through the military. The number one thing is 401k. You know, I didn't know what to do. Nobody told me. They say, yep, you've got this thrift savings plan over here. You can put money into it. So in the 2008 crash, I lost 50% of my portfolio because Mm -hmm. I was in 90% C fund, which is stock, Uh and then 10% in lower, you know, investments. So again, uh, didn't know a lot about um, saving or investing. Then I branched out into the corporate field uh, after I retired, and I was a project manager at Boeing. And again, another male-dominated field. I came into the industry straight as a manager. Uh, Boeing likes people to come in and work their way up the ladder, and um, I was hired in straight as a manager, like I said. Again, base pay, mm-hmm. 2 to 3% uh, raises per year. Again, you have a 401k. They call it the VIP. Again, don't know how to invest. What should I do? They have about 15 areas that you can put your money into. Nobody told me what to do. I think I made a little bit of money, but I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Um, 
then I transitioned into my financial business as a financial advisor. And the real reason why I wanted to do that is because there's no income limit. So as much as work that I put mm-hmm. in is what I'm going to get paid. And again, even though it's a male-dominated industry, there's still only about 16% uh, female financial advisors. I just feel like my eyes were opened after yeah. I took this Series 7 and 66, and I kind of understood the keys to investing. And this big light bulb went on, and uh, I found that it's really important to have a plan. Yeah, and I just have to say, Karen, it's really great to see somebody that's gone through life experiences and actually been able to use that um, tragedy, if you want to call it that, and to bring it into their business and really make a difference. So um, uh, I wanted to give you a shout out for that. So let's talk about why you decided to hang your license with Edward Jones. Well, you know, Edward Jones has been in business since 1922, and we're the largest limited partnership in the world. And what does that mean? That means that the financial advisors and the associates that work back in home office, we actually own the company. So you can't buy us on the New York Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. and um, we are, again, we own the business. They put money back into training us. They pay for the Series 7. They pay for the 66. They really put a, a whole lot of uh, money into their training programs. And then... Um, the fact that you have the advantage of working with a financial advisor who takes the time to get to know you. And that's kind of what sets us apart from the other financial Mm -hmm. companies is we actually sit down, we get to know you, we ask what your goals are. And we think that you should be able to uh, go to your local advisor. So we have 15,000 offices across the country in Canada. And a lot of people say, wow, I I see Edward Jones offices everywhere. Mm -hmm. But we feel that you should be able to go to your local advisor. If you live in Mukatio, you should be able to go to Mukatio and have your advisor be there. And I know you're on a journey writing a book. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you share a little bit about uh, about that? Yeah. So um, I, it's called Woman on Top. And it. it's uh, how to win in a man's world in a woman's way. And that's kind of why I told my history of, mm-hmm. of my work uh, relations. And for most women speaking out and expressing their individuality in such male-dominated fields um, is a recipe for disaster, or it can be. But in my case, it was uh, a recipe for success. And as I said, I own and operate my own financial uh, advisory business. And my mission is really simple, Tina. It's to empower women with the right systems and tools and know-how so they can gain the financial and time freedom to spend on what matters most, their family, Mm -hmm. their friends, leisure, and contributions to the economy. So if you want to learn more about the steps to building wealth for your business, um, I'd like you to go out to www.womanontop.biz and book a 15-minute call with me. And it's a $250 value, which you'll get for absolutely free. And then I'll add you to my book launch team. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen, for uh, sharing that. And what about your path of becoming a self-made success? Well, I understood what my key desires and wants were. So Mm -hmm. working through the military, working through Boeing, I figured out I didn't want to be in that corporate environment. I wanted to do something that had an unlimited uh, income potential, and I didn't want to have a manager that was telling me what my bonuses and uh, raises were going to be. I also understood my fears, my beliefs, and my mindset. And then from that, I I developed a system to help educate business owners on how to work with money and build their wealth. 
then what I what I personally do is I sit down and I reverse engineer the action steps for people to get mm-hmm. from point A to B. So whatever their goals are, we talk about that. Then I help them build the right system and process with a team of people to get where they want to be. And the benefits of doing it this way is they learn how to earn more money, they learn how to save more money, and then they gain more time and freedom. So Karen, for anyone that's listening to my show that is a business owner or is going into um, the idea of being an entrepreneur, what should they be thinking about? Okay, so the biggest thing they should be thinking about is they need to prepare themselves financially. So Mm -hmm. for one thing, as an entrepreneur, you're going to pay more taxes. So as a self-employed individual, you have to pay basically two times the amount in Social Security and Medicare taxes because you have to cover the portion that normally the employer would cover. And then you have to take complete control of your retirement savings. And um, several retirement plans are available for self-employed people, and a lot of Uh, the self-employed entrepreneurs don't take advantage of this and it's critical for your business because you get tax deferred growth and tax deductible contributions out of Mm -hmm. that so you can do things like an owner uh, owner only 401k a SEP IRA a simple IRA or a solo defined benefit plan and last if your income varies due to the type of business that you're in you're going to want to build an emergency fund for those unanticipated expenses and then make sure that you keep those uh, in a low risk and uh, liquid type of account. So Karen, through your journey and the experiences that you've had, I'm sure there's um, been time you have wasted money, had stress, and there probably could have been a better way to get to where you've gotten now. What would be one thing that you would change that you could share uh, with someone listening that is getting ready to go on the same journey and might want to take some shortcuts? Okay, so I wish I would have known then what I know now. <laughs> Don't we say that? Yes. Uh, and um, But it's nice to be able to share it, right? Right. And the, the top things are you want to start start early. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't start early, it's not too late. That's what I tell people when they come in and they're embarrassed because they're in their 40s and they haven't done anything. The next thing is, you've heard this, pay yourself first. And what I mean by that is put 5 to 10 five to 10% away for retirement because you really are paying yourself for down the road once Uh you're done with your business. And then you need to understand your risk tolerance. You need to understand how you want your money invested and why it's invested the way it is. And then you need to seek advice. I just think it's critical to have an advisor. Yes. So, and I believe that too, that's what the show is all about. And you know, the the reason my why behind bringing the show is to bring experts in in all areas of finances um, because you, you need to have that expert advice and expertise to make sure that you're uh, getting the the best out of your money so that you can have a financial great future for your family. Right. So Karen, uh, best advice that you have for growing your business? So uh, the number one thing that is uh, working for me right now is I have a system, which is what mm-hmm. I keep going back to. One of the biggest things Edward Jones is a proponent of is going out and actually door knocking and knocking on people's doors and Uh telling them about you. But I really hate doing that. So Mm -hmm. my biggest thing is networking. And so I go out to networking events. Which that's how we met. That's how we met. Because I'm just like you. (laughs) It's all about getting connected face to face. Getting connected Mm -hmm. and then getting your story out there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really intentional with the business cards and the information that I get from those networking events. I book 15 minute calls and I get to know the business owners. Then 
then what I do is I send, um, I send referrals to those business owners first to let them know that I'm I'm very serious about doing business with them. Mm-hmm. And then second, I'm really all about thank you cards. I send a thank you card out. I enter them into my contact management system. And then I'm all about social media. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, and I like to stay um, connected with my um with my people. Yeah, it's a great advice, Karen. And now, because there is so much with technology, you want to take advantage of technology when you uh, when you have your touch points, but not let go of the old touch points that people used to do. And right. if you're doing them now, you really stand out in the crowd, and that's what it's all about. Uh, Karen, so best action uh, step for an entrepreneur to implement right now? So... The best action step is book that free 15-minute call with me (laughs) and get on my calendar so you can be clear about your financial and wealth-building goals for your business. And again, I'm going to put that out there, www.womanontop.biz, and get on my calendar. So, Karen, I always talk about the start of your day and the end of your day. Everything in between is going to make a difference what your day looks like. But how you start it and how you end it is critical. I have morning routines, um, I'm sure, morning rituals, I'm sure you do as well. Can you share with my listeners and the importance of that and what you do? Yeah, so what do I do before I get up out of bed every morning? I do three things. I run through the things that I'm grateful for. Um, I pray for families and friends that are in need or struggling, and then I kind of set my intentions for the day. So whatever action steps I'm going to take and that I need to get done for me to consider that it was a successful Mm -hmm. day. Love it. Mine is thank you, motivation, and affirmation. So it fits right in there. It does. Karen, thank you so much for uh, coming into studio, and congratulations again um, on your uh, soon-to-be, or is it published? Not yet. Yes. Okay. Soon to be published book. I'm very excited to uh, get a copy of it. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. And this is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Everyone enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I look forward to talking with you next weekend. Same time, same place, right here at 1150 AM KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.